You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. That was a perfect song to lead into what we want to talk about today. The 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 cornerstone Jesus Christ and his lordship over all things. And as we think of Jesus, we must understand that he's coming back again. And there will come an end to human history. All of the things that we know now will cease to exist. It will be different. And while we don't like to talk about that fact, it's going to happen. And the sad part about it is those who have not put their trust in Jesus will be lost. And in this section we're going to look at today, Peter uses this truth to exhort believers to action, to get them busy in light of the Lord's return. And what he's asking them to do is somewhat surprising given the urgency of the moment, and that is to love other believers, and to do it with determination, and to do it with resolve, because time is short. So how do we live as strangers and aliens in this crazy culture? We live well by loving each other with urgency and excellence. And this morning we're going to find out how to do that and what effect that will have on the kingdom. So please take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to turn this morning to 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. If you want to grab one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you, that's on page 1016. And you're always welcome to use your Ridgewood app, too. You just go to Media and Study Guide. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. So here we see a command to love with a sense of urgency because Christ is coming soon. And if you're new to Ridgewood or if you're a guest this morning, we are in a series of talks called Strangers and Aliens in the book of 1 Peter. Because the people that Peter was writing to had escaped Rome, the, the culture was becoming hostile to them, and he was helping them survive in that culture and thrive in it, and that's what we're doing here. And so that's what we're up to. And now we're going to look at how we are to act, what we are to do, what we are to focus on in light of the Lord's imminent return. So let's begin in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep Loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of His sacred word this morning. Peter in this passage is trying to get a positive reaction from these exiled believers. It's the first century, remember, and they had to to flee Rome. 
And they're living as exiles. Their, their, their relatives and friends are back here in Rome being persecuted by Nero. They're probably getting daily updates. Their relatives were in danger. And now persecution was creeping toward them. And not only that, but the culture was becoming hostile to them. Much like our culture is changing so rapidly that our heads are spinning. And it's becoming hostile to what we believe. And so Peter's helping them and us learn how to thrive in this situation. And here there's a resolve in Peter's message. We must love each other with urgency and excellence. But that urgency only comes when we believe that Jesus is coming back. And, and we've been talking about this for a, a long time, and, and, and we've been reading about it. And 2,000 years ago, the apostles were writing about it, but it is going to happen. It's real, and we need to live in light of it. So Peter begins this section with the words, the end of all things is at hand. The phrase at hand means literally to draw near. The end of all things is drawing near. And sure, it was 2,000 years ago, and you could say, well, Peter was a little bit off on his timing. But what he's saying is not that it was going to happen the next day. He's saying that it could happen any time. And Jesus made this very clear, that none of us know the time, that, that we can't guess at the time. The, 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 the people on television on Sunday morning telling you the time are wrong because the Bible clearly says you, they, aren't, they don't know. But they do have that 1-800 number. You can send money to them if you'd like. But Peter was an eyewitness as he walked with Jesus to Jesus talking about this issue. So he knows what he's talking about. He heard him talk about it many times. No doubt around the, around the table eating and, and under the trees as they waited to move forward they spoke about these things. And in Acts 1, 6 and 7, the, the Bible tells us that the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And then Jesus told the disciples, it had to include Peter, it's not for you to know the time. It's not for you to know the time. The Father has fixed it by his own authority. And so we don't know when this is going to happen. It could happen today, tomorrow, next week, but we must assume it's soon, coming very quickly and we can live urgently. So in order to live urgent, loving, and excellent, we need to get our mind around this truth. It's mentioned 50 times in the New Testament, so it does matter. And as I read Scripture, the next major event that we're waiting for right now is this rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is that time when, when Jesus comes and takes his church to himself. The Bible says that just as he ascended into the clouds, he will come back the same way. It is not the same event as the second coming of Christ, which is when Jesus actually comes to earth and sets up an earthly reign. This event will mark the end of Human history in the sense where decisions will be made. They will be logged in. And so this is really an important event, but that's what's happening next. And that could happen any time. That's what Jesus is saying. And I want to show you this. So if you could, just turn back to Matthew 24 for a moment. 
Matthew 24, verse 38. And if you want to use that Bible from the church, it's, in, it's on page 1405. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 38. And what the Lord says here is that this is going to happen in the blink of an eye. And it's going to happen, it's going to be real, and we need to be ready for it. And he refers to people just like us, back in Noah's day, that were just living out their lives. They had no idea that the flood was coming, but everything changed quickly for them. So we begin in verse 38. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the words of Jesus. And, and I know it seems like science fiction. You know, to, to think about Jesus just dropping out of the clouds, but... It's what the Bible says, and we believe in the reliability of Scripture. We believe there's no errors here, so we have to trust this. And here's what the enemy's going to do. The enemy is going to try to lull us all to sleep. And he's going to try to convince us that human history can just go along as long as we learn to take care of our bodies, as, as long as we learn not to destroy each other, you know, then we can just keep going. You know, if we cut our heads and put it in cryogenics, then we can wake up again in 10,000 years. It all works really well. But that's a lie. Because it won't go on forever. And then what he does to many of us is he lulls us to sleep. Jesus said, stay awake. And, and, and we're sleeping because we're distracted. We're staring at our phones. We're, we're binge watching. We're, we're all caught up in politics. And meanwhile, every day we're closer and closer to the return of Christ. And every day people are making decisions that have eternal ramifications. Following Christ, heaven. Not following Christ, hell. And so the enemy is going to say, hey, don't worry. Everything's cool. It's all going to be fine. What Jesus is saying is wake up and get busy. And so that's what we need to be doing, but we must understand that this is a real thing, that it's really going to happen. So now back in 1 Peter 4, let's talk about what to do. What actions typify an urgent and loving Christian life? Because here's, here's the truth of the matter. Living an urgent and loving Christian life is unusual and powerful. And it's powerful because it's unusual. Because people don't see this kind of thing very often. I mean, when you're at the office, it's pretty much, hey, if I can do something for you, you'll do something for me, and vice versa. But what we are to do is love each other in a way that is so different that people take notice. And the rapture of the church here is entirely relevant because 
Peter is commanding us how to live in light of it. And so we need to take this really seriously. If you look at verse 7, he tells us that we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded. And and to have self-control denotes being spiritually observant. He warned his disciples in Matthew 24 to keep watching. He did the same in Matthew 26. And then to be sober-minded means to be of sound mind. The Greek means to be under control, not to be carried away by our passion, to live righteously and coherently. And I would say, you could throw in there, it just means to have spiritual balance. But it's hard to do in our culture. It was hard for these believers to do it in their culture. But it can be done. We, we can remain spiritually observant. And we can do that by learning to develop a disciplined prayer life. So we keep our eye on the ball. So we're communing with God. So all of these distractions and all of the things that look so tasty in this world fade into the background when we understand the greatness of God. We can develop fasting and prayer. Uh, We can start with just fasting over a meal and praying for something important. We can do meaningful devotions in Bible study where you're learning the Word and you're praying over the Word. To remain spiritually observant, you can join a community group, a group of people or a Bible study that you're connected with that can keep you accountable and that you can exhort and that you can help. Because Jesus, Jesus is coming. And and Peter commands us to be clear-minded and to have self-control because it's about something bigger than us. It's about something so profound that we can't even imagine it in our minds. But the king of the universe, who is Christ, is coming back. People need Jesus. We can't play church. We can't play games. We can't waste our lives. We need to be about the business of doing what Scripture tells us to do. And in this particular case, Peter's telling us how to love. But also, Peter tells us that this whole thing includes prayer. And I just alluded to that, but prayer is hugely important because that's what connects us to the source of our power. Now, it seems a little strange when when Peter's saying one thing, Hey, in light of Jesus' return, get busy. And you think, okay, we got to get out there, man. I got to I got to get into a community group. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to go to three hours a day Bible study. Yep, I'm going to start praying 10 hours a day. I got it. I'm not excited. And we want to get busy, 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 busy. Peter says, just stop. Just stop. The key to your success is to pray. But that doesn't seem like we're doing anything. It seems like a waste of time. It seems like, well, I, I should be at the mall passing out tracks or, or, or I should be in the restaurant, you know, w- witnessing to the waiter and waitresses. Pray? Yes, pray. Because here's how he connects this. And this is why he moves in that direction. When we are sober-minded, when, when, when we have a clear head, Peter says it's for the purpose of prayer. And that leads us to our knees 
because we understand how desperately we need God. And then when we begin to pray, all kinds of spiritual resources are opened up to us. But if we're lulled to sleep, if we're distracted, we're not going to pray. Why would you? Because we're not even, we're not even focusing on spiritual things. So the question is, how much do you pray? Is it enough to stay connected to God? Is it enough to, to keep your priorities in order? Is it enough to, to help the Holy Spirit guide you and develop a biblical worldview of how to live your life? If the answer in your mind is, no, man, I, I need to do better, no shame. It's hard work to pray. So start with five-minute prayer in the morning. Just say, I'm, I'm going to give it five minutes. I'm going to sit in a spot. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give this time to God and let him develop these muscles. Because prayer, frankly, takes practice. And so I just want to encourage you that this is a vital part of what it means to live in light of Christ's return and to love others with excellence. And so with these foundational pieces in place, now, now Peter's going to go to the ultimate goal of all of this. Why are we doing all of this? What's the point of all of this? And if we look at verses 8 and 9, we'll see that if we do this well, God is glorified. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And, and again, I can't emphasize this enough. Above all is the first two words. It's not, yeah, I know, you're doing a great job with those church plants. Oh, yeah, no, man, you've got the Bible memorized. That's awesome. And, and I, still, I still dislike my mentor when I was a younger Christian who would come to the restaurant and he'd say, how many verses have you memorized? I got 2,000 right here. That meal didn't go down very well at 6 in the morning. Plus it was like tacos. Who wants to eat tacos at 6 o'clock in the morning? That's not what he says. He says, above all, keep loving one another without grumbling. That's convicting, isn't it? Because, you know, grumbling is grumbling whether you're doing it under your breath or you're doing it out loud. We're to love each other without grumbling with a pure heart. And this is such a practical section because what he's telling us to do is to continue loving. An excellent Christian life is continuing love for fellow Christians. So he's not, he's not commanding believers to start. He's telling them to keep loving each other well. So these believers must have had a good start. They must have been doing okay. Keep doing it because why? Love covers a multitude of sins. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we just, you know, sweep sin under the rug? No. Does that mean that we just ignore sin? No. You know, the church is famous for, for ignoring sin until it destroys the church. That's not what Peter's saying. What he's saying is, where love abounds, these frequent offenses that we take so much offense at will be shrouded in love. In a word, it could be said that they are learned to be lived with. We just accept the fact that we are in a family and we're going to hurt each other and we're going to move on. That's what Peter's saying. And the connection between 8 and 9 helps us here. Verse 8 tells us 
that the effect of love is that we can fellowship in spite of sin. And then verse 9 tells us that we should be hospitable without grumbling. And hospitable means fellowshipping, willing to go into relationship with. And so the connection is there. Love covers sin so that we can have heart-to-heart fellowship. We can be hospitable to one another. And this is what we are to be doing in light of the Lord's imminent return. So what does this continued love look like? Well, first it looks like this idea of hospitality. And hospitality is not, in this context, inviting someone over for dinner. You know, if you came to my house for dinner and Wendy was out of town or something, I'd be okay. I'd be pretty hospitable as long as you were willing to watch football or baseball and didn't mind eating hamburgers. You know, we could have a good time. Better even bacon if you want to come over. Get the bacon on. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about relationships. So it, it might look like taking the past off the table. Getting rid of that grudge that's destroying you and the person that you're angry at so that you can have fellowship and relationship. Or maybe it means giving up turf so that someone else gets the credit. Or you're willing to step aside and develop someone else. Or positionally, you're willing to say you're sorry. Maybe it means praying with others. Maybe it means letting your guard down so people can pray for you to enhance fellowship. And maybe it means just serving without qualification. In other words, you know, I'm not going to serve in the church because I expect something back, or I'm going to bring a meal over, but if they don't send a thank you card, I'm going to be angry. That's not serving. This is what it looks like to love each other well. And what's happening all this time is we are being bound together in unity, and the world is watching. And, and we're not getting bitter because politics is off the rails. And we're not complaining about how the culture is falling apart. No, we're too busy loving each other well and preparing for the Lord's return. And I know for me, I, I'm really convicted by this because I need to get some stuff off the table from the past. I, I need to, to continually be aware of my own sin so that when someone sins against me, I can go quickly to forgiveness and say, it's okay. Man, I'm a sinner too. Man, you know, I, I don't know if I should mention this, but I'm going to anyway. So what are they going to do, fire me? Maybe, who knows? But I always look for a U-Haul truck. If there's a U-Haul somewhere on, on, on campus, I, I get nervous. But Wendy mentioned that tomorrow we're going to be at the seven-year mark of, of, of Taylor's death. And, and for those of you who knew the church, Taylor was victim of a homicide. And, you know, we were faced with, what are we going to do with this guy? And, and I remember that when I was called by the police and I, and I went and met him for the first time, I remember I had to make that decision, and Wendy had to make that decision too. And I remember in my mind, all of my theology was circulating in my mind as the detective stood over me and said, do you want to go up there? He, he wants to talk to you. And there was no question that I had to work toward forgiveness because I was just as guilty before God as he is. So I, I, we, we can be sad and we can be frustrated and, and we can be angry at him for doing that, but to hold it over him, to be bitter toward him, denies our own sinful hearts. But that happens in the church all the time. 
Why do churches split? And I love, I love this. Yeah, you know, we go to a new church plant. Oh, really? Well, who started that? Well, this, this church that we used to go to. Oh, so they planned that for a while? No, we kind of split. That's not a church plant. That's a sinful church split. And so we, gotta, we need to take this seriously. And, and we must understand that we need to be hospitable toward each other. We, we need to love each other because Jesus is coming back. And this continued love also looks like service toward each other. Verse 10 and the first part of verse 11 state this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So we're talking here about speaking and serving, and we're talking about spiritual gifts, which are not natural talents, but especially given gifts by the Holy Spirit to believers, not to make yourself look good, but to minister to the body of Christ, to lift up others. And so there's, there's speaking, and there's serving. And you can also look at Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, and you'll find a list of these gifts. But whether you're speaking in your gift, which would be preaching and teaching and wisdom and knowledge and helping people have discernment, or whether you're serving, it could be administration, prayer, gifts of mercy, gifts of help, it's all empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if we start to take ownership for it, we get in a lot of trouble. And so we must take these spiritual gifts, Peter is saying, and we need to minister to each other because time is short. So this is a good place to stop. And, and let me ask you, are you serving? Because the church needs you right now. I mean, we're entering into a new phase of ministry that places that we've never been before. And maybe in the past you've gotten an explicit or an implicit message that you're not needed, and staff will take care of that. I just want you to give. Well, that's not biblical. What's biblical is we are the priesthood of believers, and we do this together. And so are you serving? We need people to use their spiritual gifts to help the church. Man, you don't have to be up, up front doing this. You, need, you can be serving coffee. You can be greeting. You can be serving in children's ministry. Denise is always looking for more volunteers because children's ministry is growing. Or in student ministry. Those kids need mentors. You can use your musical gift. You can use your teaching gift in a small group or you can, you can lead a small group and, and, and pour your lives into other people. There's all kinds of areas that are available to you. And listen, it doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be fancy. I mean, I get here early in the morning, you know, you know, and by 6.30, there's guys here. They're sweeping, cleaning, chopping ice, shoveling. It's amazing servant hearts that God has brought forward. And so they don't want to be noticed. They just want to serve. So maybe God's pricking your heart. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it's time I get in the game. God's gifted me with something. Well, then just take a connect card and go, I want to serve. Or I'm interested in serving. Or what about this? And just give us an email address or something because we want to make Jesus known. Time is short. We've got to stop messing around. So 
this is what it means to do service and hospitality. So we're to have self-control and balance, and all of that leads to a, a rich prayer life. We continue to love each other. And here's the point of it all. This is what Peter's working up to. It glorifies God. That, that's the point. That's the point of our, our, our entire life. You know, it's not about us. It's not about how much we accomplish. We were, we were, I was with my brother yesterday, and we were moving my, my mother into assisted living. And we were down in the garage putting stuff in the car, and there was this empty parking stall with all these belongings in it. And I said, Steve, what's that? And he goes, well, that's, that's the deceased person's stuff. There ever was a vivid reminder that the stuff that we accomplish, the stuff that we gather, doesn't matter unless it has eternal consequences to it. Because God deserves the glory of our efforts. It's why we are alive. It's why we are believers. Jesus is coming back. That fact is sure. He's coming back soon. And at that moment, decisions will be logged in the book. So are you ready for that moment when it comes? Do you know Jesus? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that Jesus put your sins on his back and went to the cross and died for those sins so that you can believe in Christ and have eternal life? Will you please pursue that if you're not sure? And if you're a follower of Christ, how do you live as a stranger and alien? Well, you love other believers. Determination and resolve is how you love them. And you do it in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. And we thank, we thank the Father for this remarkable plan that we one day will stand before Christ because He is the King. One day we will have Him look in our eyes. And we'll touch His scars. And we'll be with Him. And so, until that day comes, let's get busy. Let's love each other well. In honor of Christ. Well, you just take one minute, put your stuff away, close your eyes, and just ask God, what would you like me to do with this text? Is there someone you want me to forgive? Is there a gift that I need to be using? Is there someone I need to love better? And then I will close in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.